0: Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Brian. And we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You know,
1: it's our goal to make this podcast useful to you. So if you find it valuable, we want you to consider supporting the Bible Bistro financially. You know, there's a cost associated with this podcast and your support will help us to continue this mission. If you'd like to help, we have set up a Patreon account
0: where you can contribute at any level. Maybe you just want to give us a few bucks a month and buy us a cup of coffee. Or if you support us at $15 or above, you can receive some of our personalized items like the Bible Bistro coffee mug. Trust me, you're really going to want one of those. Absolutely. You just got to go to our website or in the show notes and click on the Patreon link. And thank you so much. We appreciate our loyal listeners. Welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the hundredth episode of the <laughs> Bible Bistro. Bible Bistro. All wow, your dreams 100th, are coming true, 100th. listeners.
1: Hundredth. <laughs> I had to remind you that it was a hundredth episode. Not that I want to. You,
0: you did, know, and you said, that "What dirt. special do we have planned?" And the answer and is, it, don't you? What's that?
1: You have a cake with a hundred.
0: Yes, I'm going, going and I'm gonna put it in the mail for you. So <laughs> I can ship you that cake. I'm sure it'll be just as delicious as it is right now. Okay, all right. But uh, you know, maybe we'll do something a little bit later. Nothing. I <laughs> mean, we're continuing. <laughs> well, now we do have some. We have we have some
1: special things coming up. We're gonna be we do. doing our first kind of on on site episode, which should be interesting, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And yeah. we're getting ready to spend some time with our friend Jody. Owens, uh, Dr. Jody Owens, down in uh, Southern Indiana at his uh, learning retreat. That'll be next week. F- f- you know,
0: our time, like our time, real time. But, but we'll be there <laughs> when this is coming out. We'll be there, right? Um, right. So the Tuesday that
1: Tuesday, we'll have already.
0: Yeah, had and Brian one, reminded one me here. That we had done like some retrospective yeah. kind of thing on fifty, and I was like, we did, <laughs> yeah, like Wayne's World back in time. Um, but we don't have anything like super yeah. crazy today. We might do something. No. But here's the deal: you're busy, right, Brian? Uh, a little bit. You you're busy. I'm busy, yeah. and so as much as we would love just to spend all day. <laughs> Preparing for the bistro. It's just not a reality at this point. But we will do, we're going to do something. But today is the 100th episode.
1: Well, it is. So congratulations ryan they, and they said it would never last
0: i think <laughs> I don't know. we said it we said it to each other i think is pretty much what happened so uh yeah
1: and it, the other thing is it's kind of special time of the year for us as christians as well Absolutely. and so that's why this week and next week we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things related to that because this week in podcast time is yes is, uh you know it's kind of like narrative time that i talk about sometimes it's uh it is the week we celebrate Palm Sunday. This Sunday will be Palm Sunday, what what we usually call it, the week before mm-hmm. Easter, so,
0: right? And yeah. or uh, so that's that's when Jesus is entering Enter, entering the Jerusalem.
1: City. We'll talk about this why it's called Palm Sunday a little bit and, and uh, look at some of that. Yeah. Anyway, anything else you want to <laughs> say before we dive? In? <laughs>
0: No, Uh, I will say, uh, some of you have done this. I haven't sent one out. I'm designing it. I'm trying to get things right for us. But if you have not signed up yet for our email newsletter, newsletter. please go ahead and do that. Uh, You can go to thebiblebistro.com. You can go to the bottom of the page, scroll down, and there's a place to sign up there. And I'm going to work on, maybe even before this one's up, there's also a thing that kind of pops up that you can sign up right there as well. Um but I'm going to put something at the top as well, but I'm going to encourage you to go sign up for that. As we mentioned before, we we kind of started this with social media and we're still putting stuff out on social right. media, but sure. um YouTube. our yeah, YouTube our reach is limited Facebook. there for 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 right. whatever reason. Even if you like us there, you may not be seeing the post, but um, in the email newsletter, we're going to start doing some like book recommendations, yeah. um, some things that we we talk about that we say like, are in the show notes, but that's going to be in there. Um, we've talked about some other resources that Brian and I are working on right now. Yep. You're going to be the first to find out about them there um, and what's going on with that. And uh, yeah, just anything that that's kind of coming up that might be a little different, um, you can find that all there in the email newsletter list. Also, if you're on the website, if you have a question, which a listener did for us this last week, if you have a question or
1: a plan for, uh, I was actually going to allude to it today, but we'll, we'll plan it. We'll plan on talking about this down the road. It's good. Good idea.
0: Yeah. Good idea. Um, but if you have a question, you can go there as well. So you can talk to us. The email newsletter is us talking to you, but you can talk (laughs) to us as well. And we, we actually very much appreciate it, uh, to know that you're out there and listening. So
1: somebody's listening. (laughs) Yes,
0: remember, we got, and we we do we get nice emails.
1: We get nice from, we, get ni- <laughs> we we got nice emails from. Day, uh, we got one today from a, a text, actually, from a friend, and uh, said, "Oh, I really enjoyed this episode um, last week on um, uh, well, the week before last on Mark chapter eight, We got a, a reference to that somebody said, "Oh, I really thought that was a good episode." So thank you so much for letting us know what you like and and that kind of thing. So yes. so I mentioned this is Palm Sunday, and so we usually call what happened that day the triumphal entry. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. We call it triumphal because of the the it's kind of a you know big deal and everybody notices and that kind of thing. So so again, I've been going through Mark. We we looked at Mark eight and Mark Nine not too long ago. So we're gonna look at Mark eleven. Uh-huh. It's a little bit of a different account than what we have in the other Gospels. Not not different, but it's it's shorter. You know, like we said before, Mark is just much more to the point. He doesn't spend as much time uh, on on developing some of these lo- longer themes, and so we're going to see that this is kind of a matter-of-fact matter one. I'll be mentioning a little bit from some of the other Gospels, maybe Matthew and a little bit from John, but uh, Mark gives us this account of the triumphal entry, and uh, it kind of gives us a sense of what we've talked about before. That the gospels spend the majority of their space, uh, if you think about word count, they spend the majority of it on the final week of the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that happens between, you know, this this triumphal entry Sunday, Palm Sunday, we call it, and the final week leading up to the crucifixion and then the, on Friday and then the resurrection. Um, you've got what some Traditions called Maundy Thursday that week, and you have some other things going on. There's con- confr- con- <laughs> conflict and confrontation, and so forth. So, yeah. so we'll talk about the triumphal entry today, and then next week we'll say a little bit about Easter and Resurrection. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, so go Good, ahead and read. It's kind of a big deal to talk yeah. about big eh. deal yeah so look at mark chapter 11 uh if you would uh and uh, go ahead and read the just the first six verses there uh for us if you would yeah ryan i'd appreciate
0: you, that it's, yeah, it's all is, out
1: of Mar- we're gonna look at the whole of mark 11 just to kind of get it some context
0: yeah as they approached jerusalem and came to beth Be- beth beth how would beth you pronounce? page beth page and bethany actually Exenon, it's, not, because- it's
1: not it's not it's pronounced different than that uh, beth beth Beth, Fuget, Beth I can't even say it correctly, so don't even
0: worry about it. So <laughs> yeah. That was a good interruption, though. <laughs> tell me you got it wrong, too. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage, Bethage or whatever, yeah. and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, <laughs> Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, "What are you doing, untying that colt?" They answered, "As Jesus had told them to." And the people let them go.
1: Okay, so a lot going on here, even in this beginning. Uh, this idea of the colt, and uh, you know, they're they're coming up. Uh, from the Mount of Olives, there's expectation kind of increasing um, because the Mount of Olives is where the Messiah is supposed to enter Jerusalem from. That was the expectation that the Messiah would enter uh, from the Mount of Olives. And so, so even that kind of gives us a sense of, of this expectation. What's really interesting, though, I think, is early in Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus, and in fact, we call this the messianic secret, and it's very obvious in Mark, Mark in Mark's Gospel, Jesus warns his disciples not to tell anyone who he is. Anytime they get close to figuring out that he is the Christ or somebody he heals or, or whatever, he, he'll warn them, "Don't don't tell anyone who I am." And, and what's going on there and now <laughs> in what he's doing? And I want you to understand this in this way: the triumphal entry is really his public. Um, how do I say this? A proclamation. He's he's publicly proclaiming that he is the Messiah in this action. So this is an example of an action that is that is saying something about who he is. Uh, he is publicly proclaiming himself now to be the Messiah. It's no secret anymore. It's it's being done before the crowd and and. If before everybody and, and so some people say well what's going on with that why is there this initial don't tell anyone and now there's this public proclamation and it has to do with the degree of conflict that he's going to have with the religious leaders so i, I always say this it's kind of you can kind of measure this really whenever i'm teaching the gospels i always say it's interesting that when you go from it, when you go through the gospels as a narrative, Uh the further you get in the gospels, the more confrontation there is with religious leaders. Uh, And also the closer geographically you get to Jerusalem. Whenever you're farther away from Jerusalem, there's less confrontation with the religious leaders. It makes sense. The closer you get to the temple, the closer you get to the capital, the more confrontation there is with the religious leaders. Uh, it's a little bit like what we've seen when uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about he's on the other side of the sea, yeah, I was and just then he comes across. That. Exactly. So yeah, what were we going to say yeah, about that? that? Just,
0: just that the whole thing when he's across uh, the Sea of Galilee, when he's in kind right. of the Gentile re- territory, they seem to be much more receptive. And as soon as he comes over, especially yeah. in Mark, as he comes back over uh, closer into uh, Jewish territory, yeah. that's when like the Pharisees and people are questioning right. him as soon as he gets there. And he's like, I'm out of here. He goes back <laughs> across. But it seems as soon as he starts coming closer to Jerusalem, right. the, the, the more resistance he seems to be picking up. And so
1: I think Jesus early in the Gospel of Mark, and I, and I say I think, but I think there are other people who, who say this as well. Many many would say this, that early in the Gospel of Mark, he doesn't want the word to get out as much, especially the religious leaders, because there are things that he has to get done in his ministry. There's training that's teaching the disciples. There's modeling these kind of things that have to happen. And so if the conflict how uh, do I don't say this reaches uh, a boiling point too quickly, then it, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a problem. And so yeah. this is a way that he's kind of controlling at, at his rate when he's gonna go in, into uh into um, Jerusalem.
0: Yeah and, well, I I was gonna say we see that yeah as I've mentioned this before. We're going through Luke with our kids, yeah, and and you see this here in Mark. He's not the demons recognize who he is, and in Mark here, I was I was looking this up as we were talking. It says, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Yeah, so there's this. He's he's silencing mouths that are gonna like (laughs) start. You know, it's not it's not time yet, but they know they know what he's there to do, who he is, and what he's there to do. Yeah. And so so
1: now you know the the last the final week becomes this big deal because this is when he's announcing publicly I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. And he does it in an interesting way here. So he 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 sends his two of his disciples, they're unnamed in all the gospels. He sends two of them to find this cult and and it, it's interesting it says this is a cult that has never been ridden. Mm-hmm. and and there's a couple things probably going on here uh what, what what does that make you think when you think about a cult that's never been ridden what what kind of things does that come come to mind for you does it bring anything well to it's mind?
0: kind of a set aside maybe exactly like it's set, set aside for a purpose of some so, sort
1: exactly so some people talk about this they they'll talk about it's you know they'll sometimes use the word sanctification it's it's a it's a you know set aside it's set apart a mm-hmm. special it,
0: it, special animal for some
1: reason. there's a sense of purity to it the other thing isn't and this isn't in the old testament but in later jewish tradition uh, like in the mishnah you, you have these specific statements that only the king is supposed to ride the king's horse hmm. and, and so you know he's the in, in other words he doesn't just Ride anybody else's horse. horse. You know, this, he, this, he is so, this is a
0: unique animal it, for him.
1: Is set aside for him and for his use, and, and so you know it, it, it's interesting. And there's there's debate about is is it, this is something that Jesus has prepared ahead of time because he says if anybody asks you what you're doing, just say the Lord has need of this, and they'll they'll let you go. And and so there's it's kind of evenly divided. Some people think, and, and I don't think we can come down you know really strong one way or the other. Some people think it's Jesus is, has prepared this mm-hmm. other people think it is it is kind of a divine insight or divine knowledge uh, i think uh, when we've had john wedley on uh, like last week he, he's talked about this that uh, he thinks it says something about jesus has this special insight to know that this this um uh, cult is going to be here, and he has this use of it. But the big thing is,
0: yeah, I think he said there was a a donkey with the with the keys in it. You know what I mean? I think that's how he described it. Like, oh down down there. There's a donkey with the keys still in it. Right.
1: So, so, uh, well, never mind. So, 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 Zechariah nine nine is one of the things that he's using here, and I think I have had you get that ahead of time. So go ahead and read Zechariah
0: nine nine for us. All right. Let me open it up here. My Bible. Nope. 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 All right, Zechariah 9.9. 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey.
1: Okay, now stay there for just a minute because I want you to notice, and I, and I should have had you read some of the above that. Read, read just a few verses above that. Let me see. What do we have? It's, it starts in... See, I have nine. I'm trying to remember where it begins. I don't have it open in front of me. Is it six or so at the beginning of that paragraph? Or
0: uh, We have a mongrel. That's where uh, <laughs> uh, seven is. I will take the blood Se- from their mouths. Or, yeah, or, uh, seven yeah. and a half. Those who are left will belong to our God.
1: It could be. Anyway, if you look further up in Zechariah nine, and let me tell you what I'm looking for, and then maybe you could find it for me. Okay. If you look further up in Zechariah nine, it really is kind of contrasting the way that the king of of the people, the king of Israel, is going to come to them, is different than with chariots. You see the the chariot swords there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't see it.
0: I don't see. Hold it. Hold
1: on, I may have to flip over here. I, I may be forgetting. I may be. I may have. I may have finally begin forget, forgetting things in my old age um it may be after it <laughs>
0: after i said that <laughs> yeah it's after it it's after okay it. so okay it's after, so apologize. here we go on a cult the full of a donkey i will take away the chariots from ephraim yes the there you go from jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken Okay. He will, he will so, proclaim peace to the nations.
1: Yeah. So see the difference. See the contrast here. So so go read that whole thing again. Now that we've gone past that, read, read from the nine. Bistro. Yeah, read from nine down through that uh, chapter nine. This is Zechariah chapter nine, starting in verse nine, and then read down through through that yes.
0: part. All right. So here we go again. Rejoice greatly, <laughs> daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit, return to your fortress, uh, okay, fortresses. You prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you.
1: So you see the contrast that's being made there about the way the king is coming. He's not coming with chariots. That that's the mm-hmm. way you expect, it, which which stands for chariots. Are the you know some people say all oh, power. It's the, t- it's the tank of the e- ancient world. So yeah, power, um, military might is is the image there of horses. Uh, so and, and he's war horses is what you know these big you know mm-hmm. big war horses. That's not the way your king is coming to you. He is coming to you gentle is the way it's described right mm-hmm. on, on on a on a colt right on on a small you small know horse. Horse. Small in, horse in
0: contrast to the giant war horse exactly he's coming exactly. in exactly so, in hot so on donkey th-
1: this is an expectation and 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 there's different words i want you to notice here we probably probably should unpack a little bit but uh there's there's uh, at least three different descriptions there that you see of him but but one of them is lowly you know, in other words, he's coming in with humility. And what I think that's doing is I think even, you know, we talk about, well, the expectation of, of the Messiah was different than what Jesus was. But it's not that the Old Testament didn't give us these images. Uh, it's not that, that we weren't told ahead of time, right, that we didn't recognize it. And, and so this is kind of a passage that talks about your king is going to come to you not as a as a conquering, you know, in, in this way. But he is victorious, do you see what it says there? Yeah. It says so. So here are the words that describe him: righteous, right. So so he is, and this talks about the the righteousness that with which he's going to rule, and the righteousness that he he uh, ushers in uh, with his reign. Uh lots of times that that word righteous comes in when we're talking about the Messiah and victorious v- victorious is the idea that he's going to he's going to be victorious over evil and over the the enemies but it's going to be a different kind of victory it's not going to be this big military military battle and then lowly is this idea of humility so so those are the words that are just using to, to describe here and so Jesus how it says he acts this out in a way. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? He's yeah. he's saying, "Look, here, here I am coming," a- a- and so even to call this a triumphal entry, it it is a triumph. It is. It's victorious, right? But it's mm-hmm. going to be by the end of the week. It's a different kind of victory than right. what the people are expecting, uh, and so that's why again you you see Jesus' disciples. We've talked about this so many times before. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Can we set at your right hand and your left hand when we enter your kingdom? You know what, what's this there. Expectation is one that's going to be a a power play. It's going to be you know making sure that all the enemies are are done away with, and that's not the way that the kingdom is going to be ushered in. That's not the way our king comes in to to his to his power. Uh, but he is coming in to kind of publicly declare this and to say that he is the he is the king. Now I should mention this: we look at Zechariah nine nine, and this is clearly the background. Mark never mentions this. This is one of the ways that he sh- he's short sure of this. He never specifically quotes this. Matthew does, um, mm. you know. Matthew's quote. <laughs> if you read Matthew, this is and this is worth pointing out. One of the differences between Matthew and Mark is a lot of the, there's a lot of similarities. If you've ever read Matthew and Mark side by side, you know that they follow the same patterns. A lot of the same similarities. One of the things that Matthew always makes a point of doing, though, he's talking about the way that Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. All the way back to his birth, you know, everything, you know, I I, kind of joke sometimes about, you know, and, and, you know, he turned around and this was to fulfill the scripture that said he will turn around, you know, it's like every, every. every time he does anything you know the, that the way that you know he, they flee to egypt this this fulfills the scripture out of egypt i brought my son you know everything that happens surrounding his birth and his ministry matthew will make a point of saying this was to fulfill scripture and it's the same here that jesus rides into jerusalem on this colt. this was to fulfill the scripture and he quotes Zechariah chapter nine. now john does later in his account uh, as well he he basically calls to mind Zachariah 9-9 and said this is something that we need to see here as um, uh, as I'm not having an earthquake the washer is the washer
0: is um, <laughs> <laughs> the on a if you're watching cycle. on YouTube right now <laughs> Brian's vibrating because the washing yeah, machine was, is running uh, out anyway. anyway sorry I was just looking at
1: myself going what's going on there so anyway yeah, so that's nine nine. So yeah. let me quote one more passage. This is from uh, Genesis chapter forty nine. Ge- okay. Genesis chapter forty nine verses uh, nine through eleven. Now, if you know Genesis, you know that this is the next to the last chapter of the book of Genesis. This is what we call the Testament of Jacob, because what's going on here is Jacob is on his deathbed. And he's talking to his twelve sons, uh, more or less, you know, give or take, because uh, well, it also yeah, includes yeah. it also includes um, Joseph's sons, um, Manasseh right. and Ephraim. So, and, and he's giving them each his testament, like we talk about a last will and testament. And this is an important passage because he talks about Judah, and he reveals here that in a prophetic way that Judah is going to be the ruling. That's going to be the the the, the uh, tribe of the rulers. And, and so it says here in verse eight. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. And that's where we get that phrase, the lion of Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter... The sign of ruling will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come. So in other words, there's going to be one who's going to be in the line of Judah that's going to receive this this ruling and that's that eternal king all the way back in genesis chapter 49 there's this prophecy about one who's going to come as a king now here's what it goes on and says then uh, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his he will tether his donkey to a vine his colt to the choicest branch he will wash his garments in wine his robes in the blood of grapes probably talking about the idea of royal colors His eyes will be darker than wine. His teeth whiter than milk. So that idea of the donkey and the colt and that's that may be what Zechariah is referring back to. So it probably goes all the way back to this prophecy in Genesis, right? Wow. Of yeah. all places. And so this is the sign of the king of the ruler, and this is what Jesus is doing. He's 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 enacting this to say that I am I am this one. Um, and, and like I said, the, the Jewish tradition had it that only the king could ride the king's horse. And so so here he is coming in on this new cult this this unwritten cult You know, um, mm-hmm. so that's why I would disagree a little bit with john Wetley. the keys aren't still in it you know this is a, this is a this still has the new colt smell and so uh,
0: <laughs> or the keys are in uh, it uh, i think i don't want to i don't want yeah. to misquote john here
1: <laughs> weatherly okay I'm, not yeah no, yeah okay so anyway that's that's where we are any questions on that or anything before we move no, on? No. I,
0: I think it's really interesting you know i think it's uh i don't think you know we can read some of these details sometimes and think you know it's it's easy to um I think we know there's something tied to it but just to, right. to see it, that that going back in the Old Testament and yeah. then going back to Genesis all the way back to Genesis because I'll right. be honest when you read that Genesis 49 like that I'd never I, I don't know if I'd made that connection, connection. all the way through yeah. before into right. and, and Mark and, and to see <laughs> that this uh, the the donkey the the colt the unridden cult, the significance of it all right. the way through that it's a, a prophecy fulfilled well,
1: and i should mention this this whole one of the remarkable things about mark 11 and and just the triumphal entry in general general is the amount of old testament imagery that's being brought in and we're going to see even what the people say come from the old testament you know this this whole section uh, one more thing i'll just point out before we get too much further the normal way that a pilgrim would enter Jerusalem for the feast, like the Feast of Passover, which we're, 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 that's where we're in the middle of the Feast of Passover, right? Or well, I should say the middle, in the beginning. Uh, but you would normally enter on foot. That was the way a pilgrim entered, entered Jerusalem. So here is Jesus riding, And again, that's, that's a part of that imagery that he is – this is a special – Occasion. This is something, this is not just your normal pilgrim entering into Jerusalem, but this is someone who's writing a, a new cult into Jerusalem. And, and so everybody would have understood, I think, the significance of what Jesus is, is doing
0: here. Yeah. Why is that? Is that mean, is that from the ceremonial cleansing that they wouldn't be riding? Yeah, that's part of it.
1: It, Yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So so you're not going to have, you know, the dung and all that kind of stuff. But then uh, additionally, it's it's just the humility, I think, of entering as a pilgrim, right, entering Mm -hmm. on foot. And, you know, pilgrimage is 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 a a difficult journey. It's supposed to be a hard journey. That's part of what you're Mm -hmm. it's a way of training you and making you think about your life in a way as as a journey and so yeah to to enter not that you wouldn't have ridden a, a horse or a cold part of the way or a donkey but to to take that last part into jerusalem on foot was was the standard way or the normal way of doing it okay so let's look at verses seven and eight then. Go ahead and read those to us. Mark 11, verses seven and eight, if you
0: want yeah, to read them. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Okay, you, so
1: go ahead. No, that's fine. No, 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 that's so, it. So this this idea of garments, so as a new cult, there, there's no... Um, saddle here and so they use garments for him to sit on but then others put garments on the road and the closest reference again an old testament kind of reference that's often used for this and i think this is significant especially tying it in uh, together with um, zechariah chapter 9 is in second kings chapter 9 uh, and then i'm gonna i'm gonna mention another one here out of out of first maccabees but second kings chapter 9 this is when Jehu becomes king, now do you remember Jehu? And, and I always say, you know, I, I joked a little about about pronouncing that that city word earlier. We never pronounced it correctly, but uh, Yehu would was, and you know, I just can't say that with a straight face. You know, good King Yehu. Because uh, <laughs> in southern Indiana, anyway, Yahoos are Yay, completely, yeah, th- completely yayhoos. different group. Yeah. Do you remember anything about Jehu as king? What, what do you remember about him? I know I'm putting you on the spot. I yeah,
0: do I, I don't. There's, <clears throat> so, a, there's a lot of kings. I don't remember yeah, specifics. So, so the interesting
1: thing about Jehu is, is he comes out of a time when um, they had tried to um, – well, it, it comes out of a very wicked time in in Israel, the Northern Kingdom's history. These names you will know. There was a king named Ahab, mm-hmm. and, and there was a queen named Jezebel. Right. And Jehu follows them, mm-hmm. and, and basically he brings a certain amount of re- revival to the Northern Kingdom. Now it's it's not a complete one, and it's short lived. But but he he puts off these evil rulers and, and wicked rulers. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting story and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically there's a prophet who sent. And he basically runs in and tells Jehu, Hey, you're going to be the King and then leaves. Right. And he's sent with that purpose. And, and so then the people who are with Jehu, these other commanders of the, of the military, uh, this is verse 11. When Jehu went out with his fellow officers, one of them asked, is everything all right? What was that maniac? Why, why would, did that maniac come to you <laughs> is his response, right? Yeah. And uh, he says, you know, the man and the sort of things he says, Jehu replied, he's like, oh, no big deal. You know, it's just one of those crazy people. And so they said, that's not true. Tell us. And so Jehu says, here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over israel so that idea of anointing we've talked about before if you if you missed it go back and listen to the episode on christ but that's what Messiah means, the anointed one. Mashiach means the one who has been anointed. Or Christ in Greek, Christos, means the anointed one. And it talks about the king being set apart for this purpose. And so he says this idea that Jehu going to be anointed king over Israel. And so verse 13, they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under his under him on the bare steps, then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. So you see this kind of announcement of him being king, and and we're not even gonna let his foot touch the ground, right? We're gonna put our garments down so that he's not even, and it's a way of kind of showing respect and showing honor to him. But the, the reason I think this is an especially important passage, and, and when you take it with Zechariah chapter 9, you know i said jehu's bringing in a kind of a spiritual revival and it, and it's it's putting off the rule of ahab right and jezebel these ones who were not ruling correctly so both Zechariah, uh, you know this idea of this isn't he's not going to come on a warhorse he's going to he's going to come on a colt and this idea here of jehu becoming the chosen anointed one who is going to bring the people back to the, the true worship of God, I think that's kind of gives us an undercurrent of what's happening here. The triumph, the triumph here it isn't, isn't the kind of triumph that the disciples are expecting. This isn't an overthrowing of the oppression, oppression of the Roman empire, but this is a triumph over, I'll just say the leaders who have led the people in a way that is not closer to the heart of God, right, but further away from, from him. And so here comes the king who's now going to finally lead the people back uh, into what it truly means to be a person of God. So that's what I think is, is partly going the on.
0: Garments, the garments thing? I, yeah. I, I had been, again, yeah. I've read 2 Kings yeah. 9, 11 through 13, but to, to, uh, I'd not... Again, I hadn't made those connections. Well, it's, just, it's
1: one of those stories, right? It's, it's, it's like I, I'm always saying, what, look for garments on the ground floor <laughs> stories, right? Mm-hmm. And, and here's another one. Uh, th- this has to do with the palm branches. And this is the famous one that's often mentioned. Uh, this is um, when um, one of the Maccabean kings, Simon, um, was victorious over a city. Uh, this is what happened. This is in First Maccabees, chapter 13, verse 51 and fa- excuse me, Maccabees takes place, the book of Maccabees takes place and the events that it narrates is an intertestamental book. We've talked about it in another another place, intertestamental period. It's not a Bible. This is not a book of the Bible. <laughs> I'm right. always quick right. to say this, but this is a history. The first and second Maccabees are history books about the Jewish people from this period of time, from this intertestamental period. So these are the kind of stories that are fresh in people's minds when they think about um, when they think about victory over a, a superior force you know and i always talked about judas Maccabeus and, and the syrians that that they overthrew but here we have simon who's judas's brother uh, who's being acclaimed for a victory and it says this on the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year the entire, the, the jews entered it with praise and palm branches and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Simon decreed that every year they should celebrate this day with rejoicing. He strengthened the fortifications of the uh, temple hill along the citadel, and he and his men lived there. And I missed the whole point there, there at the very beginning. The Jews entered it with praise and palm branches. And, and so uh, now now palm branches were – tradition this is where Palm Sunday comes from. Right, mm-hmm. uh, they're waving the branches. They're putting them in, in front of Jesus. Perhaps according to some some of the gospel accounts, um, palms are usually. Um, associated with tabernacles which is a fall festival passover is a spring festival so there's been some people you know question this historically in this kind of thing but what we think is happening tabernacles is one you you brought palms to the temple for tabernacles but what we think here is again people are kind of getting caught up in what's going on they're cutting palm branches off the trees and and they're they're bringing them and uh, celebrating this way it was was a sign of celebration so comments or questions on any of that
0: no you know again intertestamental period we've talked about this before but like how that kind of illuminates some of these things i'd always just heard you know it's it's it's, it's a red you know it's a sign of victory and you know and so forth but um you know not not seeing it intertestamentally i think is is important there to see how it's it is the jews understood it
1: yeah and and i've talked i've talked so many times before i know people are probably tired of hearing this but you know most of jesus disciples were named after one of the maccabean kings that was these were the heroes these were the people that you celebrated and you you thought about so uh let's go on then to this next part i'll go i'll go ahead and read this because i'm probably going to stop a part way through so this is verses nine and following They're, they're spreading their cloaks on the road they're spreading branches that they would cut in the fields it says verse nine those who went ahead and those who followed shouted and here we're gonna find out we already know a little bit of hebrew uh the first thing they shout is hosanna hosanna is the word and, and this is a word we use in just typical praise right hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, which is a very unusual statement. We'll come back to Hosanna in the highest or, or Hosanna in the highest heaven. Uh, this is a way kind of a circumlocution to talk about in the very presence of God. Hosanna to the, to, you know, right to the very presence of God. This word Hosanna literally is, a, is a, it means save, save us or save us now, something along those lines. Uh, and that is, that's just the, the Hebrew word. If you look in Psalm one hundred and eighteen, uh, and I think I asked you to go ahead and grab that ahead okay. of time. Psalm one hundred and eighteen. Yep, I got it. This is a psalm that would have been sung as you entered into entered into Jerusalem for the for the festivals. It was part of the festival celebration. Was a Psalm one hundred and eighteen. So it's not unusual to hear this psalm sung. But then here is this guy <laughs> who's writing in on a cult and seems to be fulfilling the messianic, like like basically saying, "Look, here I am! I'm publicly announcing that that, that I am the I am the Messiah. I'm the promised one. I'm the Christ. The the, the uh, anointed one." And people are singing the Psalm 118 that they typically sang as they entered in as pilgrims, and they're applying it to him instead um so you know i'll I'll encourage everybody to at some point read all of psalm 118 because this this is kind of the liturgical or the what's the word i'm looking for the worship background for the feast of passover and if you look down at verse 25
0: and the 26 go ahead and read those for us yeah lord save us lord grant us success Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord. We will bless you. We so, bless you.
1: So that word that, that save us, Lord, save us, is is literally the Hebrew word Hosanna, and so that's what they're that's what they're shouting. They're shouting, save us, you know. In other and, words, and, you...
0: and and in the Psalm, it's Yahweh save us. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. So say, yeah, so, the it's the Hose- so does <laughs> Hosanna encompass Yahweh? No. As well? No. It's two words okay. there, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm pretty sure. I'd have to look up, but okay. I'm pretty sure that that's the case. I should have looked beforehand. I'll actually try to that's do that right. while you we're talking.
0: The i was gonna have.
1: no That's good. Um, but uh, but that that's what they're shouting. And then you see the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, we're, we'll talk about this later because one of the questions we had this week that you, you were talking about that was, was – entered into us was this idea of in the name of jesus uh specifically his name but this in the name of is an idiom that is used pretty frequently in scripture and here you see in the old testament in the name of the the lord blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord Mm -hmm. and that has to do with and this i i should have said this at the outset but this whole passage really has to do with authority what is what is Jesus claiming here as his authority? and he's claiming I think messianic authority. He, he's claiming the authority of the king of Israel, right the the, the anointed king of Israel. And, and so here um, this idea in the name of means you're coming in the in the authority of or in the power of right that you are claiming uh, in the name of the Lord this this authority for yourself. And so they are now calling him blessed as the one who comes uh, in the name of the Lord. In other words, for his purpose and for his power. Now, they would sing this about themselves this is the interesting thing. And, and you could mean it just to say, you know, we're coming to worship. We're coming together to the temple in order to worship. In the name of the Lord. You know, this is why we are gathering. It's in his power and his authority. But in attributing it here to Jesus, it seems to be, a, you know, a different kind of thing. But, and I'm going to yeah. tell you. Go ahead. What were you say? Well,
0: no, go ahead. Just finish I was going to say
1: the religious leaders notice this. The, the, the religious leaders take note uh that that he is claiming for himself this kind of this kind of divine authority which is much more than they were you know they were prepared or this this messianic authority at least which is much more than they were prepared to allow him to have so
0: yeah what's interesting to me on this one is I, i'm sure you've seen like these chi- uh cheesy movies like in the 90s like it's like <laughs> a high school dance And everybody automatically just, like, they start dancing together, and they all are in the same... They all, like, they've all worked on a routine. Right. um, And kind of going, oh, so this is just how a dance works. And, like... Sure. No. I remember dancing in high school, like, this (laughs) awkward teenager. Like, no one does anything together. But, like, how do they get it in sync? They practice this. And that they all... They've all kind of come... There's this, you know, did someone just start this? And then, like, it just kind of spread. But I, that's one thing that I think about here in this. Yeah. But, like, how did... How did they this this uh this imagery like who who started this like this this idea that they right. were kind of transforming this thing that was historically sure. about them coming to the temple and now they're applying it to to Jesus coming riding an animal that's into... a great
1: question there's at least two different ways we can answer that and and the first the first way we'll talk about it I think is if you know, notice down in um uh, you know, it talks about and, and I've said this all all throughout the the two <laughs> throughout the two times we've talked about Mark is the crowds in Mark seem to be the ones who are who are really following even even more closely than the disciples, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, more so in these tune are,
0: with what's really going on.
1: Yeah, these are the crowds, uh, and I believe I'm trying to remember. Let me look real quick. I I believe it is, and we'll see this certainly in the end of Mark. I believe it's Luke who talks about this being a crowd of his disciples that are specifically the ones who, who begin this. I think that's correct. We'd have to go back and look, but uh, I I looked at one of the things I did as I was preparing for this is there's a thing called a a synopsis of the gospels, which is all four of these accounts laid out side by side where you can notice similarities and differences. And that's something you should always do when you're going to study one of these passages. I just, i've forgotten what which which one mentioned that specifically um but but the other thing i'll say here um so that's one way to answer that question and the other one is there's there's a, a a bit of a debate about how much so by the time mark writes these things certainly the people are understanding their significance there are those who say that in the moment in other words if you're thinking about the. The time of the story or the historical setting here that they would they would have been doing these things again, not fully understanding the significance of what they were saying. And it was only later that people began to to uh, put the connect these uh, the, the significance of it here together. Now, I don't I, I don't know that I buy that completely. I think at least we will see that the religious leaders <laughs> were putting this together and they were not happy. They were they were not thrilled with what was going on. But for the people to be, you know, putting garments down and mm-hmm. and these kind of things so here's where the script comes from then if you if you're going to take that tack which i i understand this to be kind of a spontaneous act that they understood the at least part of the significance maybe fully they didn't understand who jesus was but part of the significance i think the script is written in the old testament mm-hmm. so so they knew zechariah 9 and, and, and you know it's not just oh they knew the entire old testament you know but but these are the passages that they that they went back to in hope you know, the same way there might be passages that we that are very hopeful to us, like John fourteen for some people is a very hopeful passage, or uh, you know, I don't know, First uh, Thess- Thessalonians three or whatever. Whatever it is, you know, there are these passages like the kind we read at funerals, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, seriously, yeah. the, you know, the, the the Revelation twenty, you know, uh, and every tear you know is wiped away from their eyes. There's no more. Crying or mourning crying, or pain, right? Yeah. And, and those those kind of passages are ones that we know, right? And so Zechariah nine, I think, was one of those passages for people. And I think uh, Psalm one hundred eighteen, this was their this was their church service. This was like um, you know we're going to sing in a, in a next not this coming Sunday, but next Sunday we're going to sing. Uh, um, you know up from the grave he arose probably in certain churches right oh, yeah. and and that's our liturgy that's just that's we we know those passages or if we're a part of a congregation that takes the Lord's Supper on a regular basis we know uh, First Corinthians chapter 11 by heart right um, the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant of my blood you know we, we know those passages because we've gone over them and over them and over them or we're going to be blessed in our congregation we're celebrating some baptisms this coming Sunday and so maybe Romans Six, you know, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning, so the grace may increase? By no means! Don't you know that you've uh, all who've died to sin can no longer live in it, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, to, you know, uh, are dead to sin? And so, so those kind of passages, I think, like Psalm one hundred eighteen, are ones that people are are singing in expectation and now if they're singing that's fulfilled they're like oh my goodness mm-hmm. i guess maybe here's i never thought of this you, you just made me think a new thing ryan but <sighs> what are we gonna say you know when jesus returns what mm. what will be our language wow. <laughs> right what mm-hmm. you, you get what i'm saying yeah um uh, you know, what I don't think be it'll be our go, refrain. <laughs> right. I don't think it'll be like, hey, how you doing? Hey, you know, dude, or, what's up? Hey, what's up? You know, um, but, you know, there are probably some of those passages that, you know, maybe every knee will bow and every tongue confess, confess. that, you know, Jesus is the Christ to the glory of God, the father. You know, something like that might be uh, a normal, <laughs> if you want to call it that reaction. So, yeah, Yahweh is a different word. I just looked it up in the Hebrew yeah, yep. it's right here. And, and some
0: some other context okay. on this, I did look it up in Luke here as well as he's entering. It is a whole crowd of disciples. Disciples. It's, it's yeah. speci- Be-
1: but you see what I'm saying? It's specific, Luke specific, I thought it was Luke that said that, specifically says it's disciples. Yeah.
0: Began joyfully to praise God in loud voices yeah. for all the miracles they had seen. So yep. there's, a, there's some context there yep. that they have, their disciples yep. that have witnessed these acts. And so and so okay.
1: Luke is, is saying that they're the ones who started the refrain and yeah, are there others that probably joined in? But remember the crowds, again, in mark the crowds are the ones who've been with him to see these miracles and they're they've been the ones who've been following him right
0: well and you just think they're there for the passover you know sure. and all these Jews. there's yeah. gonna be some hubbub about like yeah. oh is he is jesus gonna make right. an appearance like he's been traveling yeah. around and That's there's, the some, one John, there's some tension yeah. there
1: they yeah, would have John, known
0: like oh here he comes john's gospel is the one that does that
1: which of course now i want to I want you to remember this and this is this is you know we've talked before about John's triumphal entry and and that doesn't that that's in John's narrative that's early in the gospel mm-hmm. remember right. he, he comes in and he cleanses the temple early or he John the temple that's John too john chapter two
0: the but yeah.
1: but but later in john there's all this hubbub about is he going to come up and show himself publicly or not is he going to is he in other words is he going to make this public confession or not and uh there's this public proclamation or not and, and so that's that's what we have going on we, we need to get a little bit further because we're we're uh, we're gonna holy cow we may have to do a two-parter on this but i, I think i can finish up the rest of this relatively quickly um so, so this idea, of blessed is who comes in the name name of the Lord. Now, I do have to talk about this. Blessed is the coming of our Father David. Now, that's an unusual phrase, and, and mm-hmm. I know I, I know that it, it's you know maybe for us it doesn't. But David is not normally called a father, right? Mm-hmm. I think what this has to do. Look, look back in in Mark chapter ten. We we didn't do this, but here yep. again importance of context, right? The importance yeah. of keeping this all together. Very end of Mark chapter 10. This is the story of a good old uh, uh, the son of Timaeus. Um, uh, Bartimaeus, we call him. Um, okay. Bartimaeus. But that means son of Timaeus. Uh, and he, here's what happens. He's a blind man who's sitting by the roadside begging, verse 47, this is Mark chapter 10, verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he says, Jesus recognizes him as son of David. And of course, that, that goes back to Second Samuel chapter 7 verses 11 through 16, where it talks about David, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. You're one of your descendants. And furthermore, one of your descendants is going to reign over an eternal kingdom. And so here's, and just in Mark, the blind, the blind people see better than those who have sight, right? He's the one who recognizes that this is a son of David and it's significant that he does so. Uh, After Jesus heals him, by the way, just, just to uh, kind of drive this home after Bartimaeus is healed, Jesus sends him away, but he doesn't go. He follows. So he becomes a disciple of Jesus. And so he's probably part of this crowd, right? Mm -hmm. So. Here's my point. Father David isn't necessarily the same as Father Abraham, but it might be a reference to this idea of son of David, right? Mm. So, yeah. so the son of David, David is the father, right? So here's right. This, again, this kind of maybe messianic, uh, Christ, you know, this Christ kind of imagery that we have. But it's an unusual, it's an unusual phrase. Father David is an unusual phrase, but this idea of the kingdom of our Father David is is clearly a reference to second samuel chapter 7 verses 11 through 16 i mean the whole chapter is worth reading but if you really want the cliff notes that's that's the part of it And, and i called this in sunday school i said this last week and i've said it before it's not the first time but i said this is Probably the most important prophecy in the entire Old Testament, and uh, you know maybe we need to spend some more time talking about that at some point. But it is it is definitely important that that this one who's a son of David is going to rule over an eternal kingdom, and so they're saying here it comes, you know here's here's this coming kingdom. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and hosanna in the highest heaven So then, here's the here's kind of the anticlimax. here verse eleven, and it's a little bit different again than the other gospel writers. Mark, in his brevity, uh, leaves leaves quite a bit out. And, and it, it this reminds me a little bit about that passage we talked about, where Jesus crosses the Galilee and has this conversation with the Pharisees, gets back in the boat and but goes across. Goes
0: back across, yeah.
1: Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything but since it was already late he went out to bethany with the 12 so jesus comes triumphantly into jerusalem takes a look around and leaves but um, you
0: this know this is a typ- lame party guys <laughs> typical mark I'm out.
1: But but it, I do think the surveying—he looks around at everything. Basically, he you know, one one commentator—I can't remember who it was—described this as as kind of the master surveying or the, the landowner surveying his kingdom. Right, mm-hmm. he, he's coming in and he's looking to see how things are, and then he's gonna he's gonna bring judgment tomorrow. Mm-hmm. uh is the idea he's he's surveying the land today but he's going to bring judgment tomorrow in matthew and luke you have and in john you have jesus coming into jerusalem and he gets into con- controversy he gets into into discussions with the religious leaders which is you know it fits very well with what we would understand would be the case uh, but mark does not does not include that instead we get mark telling the story and this is an example uh uh, of uh, uh, intercalation is the technical term, but I've called them sandwich stories. And Mark, oh, yeah. it's much easier to say than intercalation, but it's where you have the, the bread of the sandwich and then the meat, right? And mm-hmm. and so the, he starts the one story and he, he ends it later on, but in between he tells another story. So he goes ahead and starts a story. I'll have you go ahead and read verses uh, 12. Um, let me see, read 12 through um, uh, 14 probably
0: yeah sure the next day as they were leaving bethany jesus was hungry Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf he went to find out if it had any fruit when he reached it he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs then he said to the tree may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples heard him say it
1: now there's a lot going on here and there's a lot that bothers people uh, that Jesus we call this the cursing of the fig tree right but basically he's just he, it's, it's kind of an I would call it an announcement of judgment in some ways um, fig and this idea of fig fruit specifically is and, and I'm not going to read all the passages go, go ahead and look up Micah chapter 7 verse one we'll read that but I'm not going to read all these passages but if you read the Old Testament this idea of, of the fig bearing fruit, is a theme that we see referring to Israel. Uh, Israel is referred to sometimes as by a grapevine. You know, these, these were two of their finest fruits in this period of time. Was the was the fig and the grape? This was you know this was the best that it got, and uh, and so they were referred to as this idea of a fig tree. We, we see examples of this throughout the Old Testament, but one of the themes is this idea of bearing not bearing fruit being the reason for judgment. So go ahead and read Micah 7, 1, just as, just as yeah. an example there. Uh,
0: what misery! go ahead and read a couple,
1: couple more verses beyond that, yeah. just two or three maybe.
0: What misery is mine. I am like the one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets.
1: Okay, so we can stop there. You get the gist, and and it goes on and on that way. (laughs) Here's here's all the here's this. This is the old man going.
0: "Eh, Things
1: are just not like the way they used to be. (laughs) Minor prophet. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Supper with a prop prophet. Not the kind of people you want to take to a restaurant. So, so Micah here, and this is the prophet. I think this is the voice of the prophet. Basically, looking around him and saying, people are not being faithful to God, and the image that he uses for this is that early those early figs that i crave aren't there in other words people are not bearing fruit and sometimes god uses this image we see it in isaiah we see it in jeremiah you know there's all these images of fig trees um Throughout, uh the the prophecy and, and apocalyptic literature for that matter this idea of figs you know they're supposed to be bearing fruit and they're not now one of the things that bothers people about this passage is mark specifically says thanks a lot mark well it wasn't the season for figs but but that's not really the point the point is that the, the tree is giving the appearance giving the outward appearance of being a healthy vital um tree right it's got leaves it, it looks beautiful but it it's not it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing it's not it's not accomplishing its purpose which is to bear fruit and so jesus uses this i think as a living parable of of israel and, and particularly I'll, i'm going to say the, the leaders of israel and, and i'm going to show you why i say that in just a minute but he he's using this cursing of the fig tree like the prophets did when they talked about, look, there's no fruit. You know, Mike, he, 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 it's not, oh, gee, it's not the season for figs. That's not the point. The point is that it gave every appearance uh, of being a healthy a producing tree and it was producing no fruit.
0: Yeah, and It was only so, upon closer inspection that you could see that exactly, there was no, there was no exactly. fruit on it. Exactly.
1: And yeah. The, the, the reality is different than the appearance is the way that one, uh, one writer has, has put this, but, but he, so Jesus says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Uh, and, and so that's the end of that part of the story. And then we get into this other story, which is Jesus in Jerusalem. Uh, Verses 15 and 16, he cast out the money changers here. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Um, And I'll come back to this in a minute. Uh, There's a lot of... There's a lot of discussion about what it is exactly Jesus is doing here. And of course, we've talked about, it, and I'll, I'll encourage you if you really want to dive deep. We're not going to have time to do this today, but this is this can be understood as a cleaning of the temple, or it can be understood as a symbolic destruction, basically putting a stop to worship uh, and, and what is it that jesus is upset about here is is the is the main question um, some people are saying well these animals are where they're causing the temple to become unclean uh, it talks about the courts here and them carrying things through the courts this is probably a reference to the court of the gentiles we think which would have been the most outer court around the mm-hmm. temple uh, and and so you know some people will talk about those kind of things uh, i think john makes clear uh, if you look at his account of this, that that the money changers are taking advantage of people. So the whole point of the money changers is you, you, most of your coins would have had uh, the images of the emperor or whomever on it. You had to pay a, a, a temple tax. That was part of your worship. If you're a male, uh, adult male in Israel, when you went into the temple, you had to pay the temple tax. And, and so you would have to exchange your coin with an image of... Caesar a ruler or, on it or, who, who, or. yeah whatever country you're from you know pro, well and and you know the empire was caesar so caesar's I- image you had to exchange it for one that didn't have a graven image on it because you wouldn't want to take an you know idol, an idol. graven image into the temple and, and so so some people say they were taking advantage where they're shaving a bit you know uh, the you know the the imperial denarius is just a little bit heavier than the the temple denarius right that that kind of a that kind of a thing, uh, and taking advantage of people in that, and I think there are some things here that that may uh, bear witness to that. But but selling the animals and those kind of things, and and the the money changers was a necessary part of this worship taking place. So Jesus puts puts an end to that for at least a period of time. Uh, it doesn't mention some of the things we see. John John mentions specifically he drove out cattle, you know, all this kind of stuff. It just talks about the doves here. And uh, carrying merchandise through the temple, you know, this idea of just carrying packages or whatever. Uh, in other words, it was it was being not used in a set-apart kind of way. Uh, but verse 17, it says, and as he taught them, he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer? This is a passage from Isaiah. My house will be called a house of prayer. And it's, it says this in Isaiah, for all nations, and this is something we've looked at before. The prophecy was that in Isaiah, that there's going to come a time where all the nations are going to stream up to Mount Zion and they're going to come to be taught of the Lord, right? That it wasn't to be restricted. Uh, and then he says, and he quotes Jeremiah here, but you have made it a den of, of robbers. And this word robber could talk about, uh, stealing, um, a lot of people want to make a big deal about this, and it, and it may be worth doing. Uh, this is the word that can be translated something like insurrectionist or those mm-hmm. who will rise up against rebels, something along that line. Uh, and, and that's that's what you've done. In other words, you've, you've made it into you, – you've used this for a different purpose than what it was intended for. I think the primary thing and, – and again, I think we're going to see this in just a minute. I think the primary thing is that those who were supposed to be leading the people – in drawing near to God were instead misusing um, the, their authority and, and and the temple authority right they' they're they're misusing it for their own gain or their own purpose. Again, I think this whole passage is about authority. So here's the reason I think this in verse 18 it says the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd, was amazed at his teaching, and I'll just point out again when we're thinking about the characterization uh, in in the Gospel of Mark, uh, this idea of the crowd, <laughs> you know, is on his side. Uh, the crowd is for him, and, and and the leaders are afraid of him
0: uh, because he says the tide is turning.
1: Yes, and so I think I think this is why I would say that his his condemnation, his judgment here. Is really against the leaders of Israel. And, and it fits well with what we see in the Old Testament as well. You know, Isaiah will talk about the shepherds, uh, you know, the, the wicked shepherds. Jeremiah, Ezekiel all have this reference to the wicked leaders of, of the people. We, we quoted 2 Kings a while ago, and that's the issue in 2 Kings over and over again. Not only did these. Uh, not only were these kings far from God, but they also caused the people to sin. In other words, they were not leading the people in the correct way. Uh, and that's when a prophet would arise. And so I think that's kind of what Jesus is—he's playing this prophetic role. I should say playing the role, but what's the way I want to say this? He's 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 taking on himself this prophetic mantle, and and he's really uh, speaking against, speaking in judgment against. Uh, uh, these these people. So so I think and again it's the leaders is the way I would say this is an I don't I don't see this as a rejection of all Israel. I see this as a rejection of the leaders who've led them astray. And so Jesus is saying, you know, I am the one who, who's worthy of your attention. And this is why they get upset. They understand that this is like you said the, the tides have turned.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think about that crowd. They might have recognized the same thing was the problem in there but had no power yeah. to to stop. You know, I think yeah. You know, did they did they recognize that yeah there was something being skimmed off the top when they went to sure. the temple? You know what I mean? And so, but they were powerless themselves to to stop the religious leaders at the time. And Jesus to, is calling calling it out.
1: To think that to think that this is something that I need to do in order to fulfill my obligation toward the divine, right toward God, um, and then to uh, I mean that's a, that's a powerful motivator. Right. And, and that's why I think even religious leaders in this day, you know, cr- Christian leaders, we have to be very careful uh, of our use of power as well. And that's that's something we still need to think about and and to consider um, is that, you know, if, if we use uh, the name of God in a way that's for our own purpose, then we've we've missed we've missed the boat. Um, so then there's this temporal and actually locational marker here. It says when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So this entire week they're going and staying outside in Bethany or some, some place like this and coming in during the day. And this is where the action takes place. So he's separating himself. And this is one of the reasons they have to you know, find him. They, have, they need to figure out a way to find him secretly. Um, but, you know, again, he's going. He's not staying in Jerusalem. He's going out of Jerusalem every day, and uh, so we have this this separation uh, taking place. So you go ahead and read then uh, this next part um, in verses uh, twenty through twenty-one.
0: In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, "Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered."
1: Okay, so there's the uh, finishing and, and of that gone... first. Oh no, right right there for right now. We'll we'll come back to it in a yeah. minute. So there's the finishing of that first story. So Jesus curses the fig tree and then the next day they come in. Withered from the root means completely right this isn't this isn't just like jesus healings are complete this is a complete withering of the fig tree from the roots uh this isn't just some kind of oh look that one branch is a little withered look what jesus said it's not like the
0: sun it's been a hot day and the the leaves (laughs) are a little wilty it's the whole
1: tree yeah the whole tree is done and will not you know jesus jesus said no one will ever eat uh figs from you again so it's this idea that judgment has been Proclaimed, and of course, when we look at the story together with the condemnation of the religious leaders that we see in the temple and what they've been doing, the practices that they've been doing, we see the same kind of thing. So, this, you know, and let me say, in, in chapter twelve, we have the story of the vineyard, right? And the vineyard owners, and and they say, "We'll kill the son and keep the vineyard," and 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 judgment is given against them as well. It's same, same thing. And they understand it's, it's against them. So, so what they have been entrusted with, which is God's people and God's, this place, what they haven't been entrusted with is now going to be ripped away from them. And, uh, you know, so so it's pointing toward, and again, whether you understand this action to be symbolic of destruction or not, it's pointing toward the destruction of the temple. I think this time uh, that Jesus predicts, uh, and this is what Mark thirteen is about. <laughs> if you want to read Mark thirteen, it's it, it, the Olivet discourse. If you remember, uh, we had what five six weeks ago the 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 Lucan. Uh, Olivet Discourse with uh, John Weatherly It's the same thing in Mark Where this temple, there's before this generation Passes away, this temple is going to be destroyed and, and so this is What this symbolic Um withering of the of the fig tree is pointing toward that that this is going to be ripped away and it's going to be just like the vineyard in chapter 12 it's going to be given to others (laughs) right the the kingdom of god you know is is here (laughs) what you've been waiting for has been brought here but because of your failure to uh, recognize him and your failure to be faithful with the things god has given you they're not going to be taken away from you and they're going to be given to others uh, who are going to who are who are going to, you know, do according to what God has has called them to? Now, there's kind of a strange thing that happens here, and, and there's there's, and I'm going to tell you what I think about this. I don't I don't think I think it's I think it's understandable. There are a lot who because because Mark brings together some teachings that Jesus has in other places in the other Synoptics here. Okay. So again, whether we understand Mark's first or not, so this becomes then for some people. It almost kind of proves, well, Mark's just kind of sticking these stories together, right? Because now he starts talking about faith and prayer. So so the way that most, I should say, the way that, that some people interpret this is to say that then Jesus says, well, yeah, Peter, if you can pray and have faith like me, you can, you can curse fig trees too and they'll die, right? Which I don't think is the main point here. The, the first point of this is very clear where he says, have faith in God. You know, in other words, your, your trust needs to be placed in God. That, that's that's what you need to understand. And then he goes on and he says this. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, um, go throw yourself into the sea and does not have doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So this, I don't think this is just any mountain. I don't think this is just some generic mountain. Uh, if you think about where Jesus would have been standing, <laughs> Mount
0: Zion.
1: I think it's Mount Zion or, or Mount of Olives. I mean, in, in Zechariah 14, the, the Mount of Olives splits in two when the Messiah comes, right? And, and that the P the God's people escape through that, through that mountain. And, and so the, the whole idea here, I think is what he's still saying is if you, if you place your trust in God, uh, and, and and basically the same kind of how do I say this if you take a stand against those who would uh, who would misuse these things then then God is going to be on your side is going to supply what your needs are. Okay. So I think this has more to do with saying, don't, don't be afraid to stand up for what God has called us to and and to be right in this. Uh, So I don't see a big break in this at all. The way that that some do, he goes on He says, therefore, I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So again, I think this is the idea of being supplied with what is necessary to accomplish the purpose that god has for his people israel <laughs> israel's vocation right the vocation of israel's leaders has been there for them all the time but instead of placing their trust in god and 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 expecting him to supply they have instead misused their positions in order to uh, bring more power to themselves it's it's about authority right it's about power mm-hmm. and the authority that is given here to the follower of jesus is the authority to ask for the things that they need in order to accomplish their purpose uh, when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive them so that your father in heaven may also forgive your sins uh, and so this idea of uh you know our our purpose is to look the crowds were crying hosanna right save us and this is this is what we this is the victory this is the triumph right it is the salvation we have from sins and also from sin and also the forgiveness that we can extend to others and and make available to them so that's how i understand that so Jesus then is given this question of authority. This is kind of the last thing we see, and I'll, I'll deal with this pretty quickly. I know we've gone long today anyway, but they, they arrived in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priest, teachers of law, and the elders came to him, by what authority are you doing these things? So they're, they're talking about the temple, they're talking about all these things. And who gave you authority to do all this? Who gave you authority is an interesting question. Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting thing because here are the chief priests and the teachers of law who who would have had, let's say, the technically. power to a, ask
0: the questions. A, you, right,
1: you... a right to ask this question, right? Mm-hmm. And so Jesus turns that around and says, No, let me ask you a question.
0: <laughs> you yeah. don't
1: ask me the questions.
0: I ask the Science. questions. Here. I ask All the right. questions, yes. And,
1: and, and so here's the question. By And I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things, which is interesting because I do think he answers the question, by the way. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. So they discussed it among themselves and they said, so, you know, we've talked about that they put Jesus in traps before. We've seen this where they've kind of asked the two edged question and this is a trap for them. So here they, they explain the trap themselves. If we say from heaven, he'll ask them, why didn't you believe him? In other words, why did you reject him? Why did he end up getting killed by Herod? Uh, but if we say of human origin, and then uh, the interesting thing in Mark, this is there's no, there's no, it's just like, if we say of human origin, oh my, what are we going to do? And it says, they feared the people for everyone held that John was really a prophet. And so they answered, we don't know. Now, they asked them the question, who, who, who gave you the authority to do this, right? And so Jesus says, let me ask you a question. Uh, what what by uh, uh, John's baptism, where did it come from and and I think his answer really is because he, he goes on he says, Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things if they recognize that baptism comes from above, from heaven is a circumlocution for from God <laughs> right mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to say the name of God but you say he he it he, 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 he came from heaven. And so Jesus, I think, is saying that's where my authority comes from as well. My authority comes from God himself. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't claim this authority because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the disciple of some great rabbi. I don't claim this authority, you know, from the king, from Herod, nothing like that. I claim this authority from God himself. And, and the crowd who recognizes Jesus recognizes that authority. And the religious leaders don't recognize that authority, and that's that's the issue. They didn't recognize it in John, and they don't recognize it in him as well.
0: Yep, yeah. shaking the tree. Yeah, indeed. So. <laughs> <laughs> not not the uh, fig tree, though. That's right. rotted from the roots out. Yeah, well, this is great. I mean, th- th- I think this is such an important thing for us to think about as we go into this uh, Easter season, as yeah. we prepare for this, is to recognize... I, and we've been doing this the whole time. Jesus, this is what Jesus has said He is, but then this fulfillment of him, even just right. coming into um coming into Jerusalem during this time. There's so much that's calling back that's right. showing us um, that who he is. You know, I was thinking back we, we just did the going back to Bartimaeus, that is yes. in chapter ten, the end of that. The blind guy. Can yeah. see who Jesus is right. without seeing him. Yeah. Um, Which is not that's not an accident. That, that's I mean, not that's, an accident. But you know, we think about it as we've if yeah. we've gone through eight and nine and we see yeah. the uh the uh when they are, uh, I'm sorry, the transfiguration. Yes. You know what I mean? Like right. there's the cloud there like, oh, I'm seeing this, but I can't see it. You know, the guys right. with the eyes can't see it. And so I think that this is all leading to this this moment that as Jesus is coming in here, it's been, hey, keep quiet about who I am. Right. He's been trying to reveal who he is. And then we get into this Jerusalem piece. The blind guy knows who he is. And then this 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 uh, this entry is really Jesus kind of, it's already known, but it's like de- publicly declaring, this is who I am. And it's really starting this this last week of his life that's going to get real interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the way I put it, he's saying this can't be ignored any longer. The, the, the leaders can't, you know, shove this away or whatever. It cannot be ignored now. Uh, the, yeah. the crowds are seeing him. In John, you know, this, this couples with, um, not to always bring up John, but this couples with the healing of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Everybody is seeing this now. This isn't this isn't something that's done off in some t- entire right. This isn't something that's done over in the Decapolis. This is right here in Jerusalem, and you're not going to ignore it. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's there's a buildup of you know there's this crowd. I, I like this idea of this crowd that's building. Like it's it's yeah. becoming a force that has to be yep. it has to be dealt with. And as Jesus has kind of said, not yet, not yet. It's like. Not that he doesn't have the power, but that the people's force is put it's it's pressing the issue here to see right. what we we've got to address this and then it can't be ignored by the religious leaders at exactly. this point. I think that's yeah. right. Yeah. Well this is great. Good. Yeah. Triumphal and entry. Next, next yeah. week Easter. So Yeah. Next week Easter. We'll make it shorter next week. I hope so. <laughs> I'll try. It'll be great. Well, Brian, thanks so much. Appreciate right. your time today. Um, and if you're enjoying the Bible Bistro, go to our website, thebiblebistro.com. You can uh, click support the Bistro. Sign up for Patreon. You can get a coffee mug or anything like that. Uh, also, sign up for our email newsletter or follow us on social media. Give us a review. We appreciate it. We'll see you next. Uh, see you next Tuesday, Brian. All right. See you, Brian. See you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.